But today we're in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, and uh, as we look at 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, you'll see as we look at verse 12 down to verse 28 that the Apostle Paul makes a point to end this letter with wise counsel for growing Christians. So if you're someone that's seeking to grow in your faith, and our big theme as we've been looking through the book of 1 Thessalonians, if you remember, was this idea of progressing in faith, making progress in faith, growing in our faith in Jesus Christ. That was certainly something that the people of Thessalonica were doing. And that's what we're looking at today as Paul finishes this letter out with wise counsel for growing Christians. So if you would take your Bibles and turn with me to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. I'm going to pick us up at verse 12 in just a moment. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. I'll give you a second to turn there. So 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, picking up at verse 12, this is what it states. We ask you, brothers, to respect those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you, and to esteem them very highly in love because of their work. Be at peace among yourselves. And we urge you, brothers, admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with them all. See that no one repays anyone evil for evil, but always seek to do good to one another and to everyone. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Do not quench the spirit. Do not despise prophecies, but test everything. Hold fast what is good. Abstain from every form of evil. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely, and may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. Brothers, pray for us. Greet all the brothers with a holy kiss. I put you under oath before the Lord to have this letter read to all the brothers. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Let's pray. Lord, we're grateful for the privilege that it is to be able to look at this portion of Scripture together today. And it's been uh, quite some time now since we've been able to look at the book of 1 Thessalonians and, and finish our time together. And so, Lord, today as we carve out time to do that, as we carve out time to look at what your word states, we pray that you'd speak to our minds and speak to our hearts and prepare us not only for today and not only for this week, but ultimately for just every day that you've given to us, this, up, this upcoming month, this upcoming year, Lord, all the trials, all the tests, all the interruptions, all the changes, whatever you send our way, we pray that by your grace we would truly sense that we are more than adequately prepared for because of the indwelling presence of your Holy Spirit. And Father, we're just so grateful for the counsel that we're given here in this closing section of First Thessalonians. We're grateful for the time that we've had the privilege to, to study this letter together, but we're grateful to be able to look at it fresh again today. And so we pray that you'd speak to our minds and our hearts by the power of your Holy Spirit. And we commit this time to your care and pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. So let me give you just a, a, a tiny bit of background, just to refresh your memory a little bit here as we look at uh, the book of 1 Thessalonians again, looking at this very last section starting in verse 12. 
But when the Apostle Paul came to Thessalonica, when he visited the people of, of, the, of the Thessalonian church and uh, ultimately planted the church there, he would have liked to be able to spend more time with them than he was able to do so. Uh, he would have preferred to teach them and train them on a deeper level. And he would have preferred to be able to mentor their newly appointed leaders with kind of a deeper form of, of mentoring or at least a longer form or a longer term of mentoring, but God had other plans for the Apostle Paul. And isn't it interesting when uh, you make plans or when I make plans and how those plans sometimes come to fruition, but just as often as they come to fruition, the Lord switches it up and shows you something different from what you were expecting. I was listening to a podcast just yesterday as my wife and I made a drive, and the podcast was recorded several months ago, and in it, the person was listing their upcoming schedule for the spring. And he, and he was saying, yeah, so this is what we're going to be doing in March and in April and into May. And I, out loud, I said, no, you won't. <laughs> it's like, no, you won't. And isn't it funny how when you give a declaration of, yeah, this is what I'll be doing, this is what I'll be doing, we always kind of have to temper that with maybe, you know, if the Lord wills, maybe this is what I'm trying to do during that period, but it may not be what actually takes place. So it kind of made me laugh a little bit. And I, you know, knowing what had happened, right? It's like, yeah, no, you won't. You won't be going on tour. You won't be talking to those people. That's not happening. And it was funny at the end of the recording, the host of that got on and said, well, obviously the things that he was talking about weren't able to happen. That tour got canceled. So we're like, yeah, no kidding, right? But the Apostle Paul kind of had an interruption like that as he was trying to work among the Thessalonians. He wanted to stay with them. He wanted to mentor there. He wanted to work with these newly appointed church leaders. But again, God had other plans. And what happened here was due to persecution in that city, the Apostle Paul was forced to leave the city very abruptly. And along the way, he remained concerned that that abrupt exit from the city was going to have a detrimental effect on the growth the spiritual growth of this group of new believers there and these new leaders who had been appointed there. But by the grace of God, this newly appointed church, it continued to grow. It continued to show great enthusiasm, uh, ultimately for Jesus Christ, for the gospel. And uh, their reputation for this enthusiasm had become known to people in far off places. And this was the type of thing that greatly encouraged Paul when he heard it. When he received news of their growth, when he received news of their progress, he was greatly encouraged by that. And in some ways, I imagine he was probably also relieved. You know, as he heard that they were progressing in faith, I think he was relieved to know that they continued to grow in the faith. And, um, and he wanted to see them continue to grow. He wanted to see that continue to happen. So here, the section we're looking at, you have Paul now preparing to conclude this letter. He's, he's giving some concluding thoughts, some concluding words, and he wanted to end it with some wise counsel, with some wise words of admonishment, some words of challenge here for these believers. And as I was preparing for today, and I was looking at you know what Paul had, had penned down as the Holy Spirit inspired him to write these things down, in many ways, his words reminded me of the type of comments that a parent makes when a child is about to leave the house for a few hours. You know, when a child's about to leave, you have a, a, a variety of things where you're saying, all right, listen, while you're out, make sure this, make sure this, make sure this. Okay, dad. Okay, mom. Right? I'm going to do that sort of stuff. Yesterday, like I mentioned, my wife and I, we were, we were gone for uh, quite a few hours. And, and our, our crew, you know, they're obviously getting a lot older now, but uh, they were home alone during that time. 
And, um, and so, you know, I had, all right, here's the instructions for while I'm gone. And my big deal with them, and they'll tell you this, this is probably something I've, I've said quite a few times, trust equals freedom. The more I can trust you, the more freedom you get. The more you show me that I can trust you, the more I feel at liberty to just give you freedom to do the things that you want to do. And if you break that trust, then that freedom goes away. So trust equals freedom. And I was very pleased that I was able to spend quite a few hours yesterday outside of my home with my wife, knowing that I could trust that group. I could trust my kids. I didn't have to worry about this as they're getting older. And so usually parents, you know, if you're going to be away, if your children are going away, you have some counsel, some words of counsel. And that's kind of how Paul's words strike me in this passage. Some words of counsel for this church as he's finishing up this letter. So what kind of counsel did he offer them? Kind of advice, what wise counsel did he say as he was concluding this letter? And what should we make a point to apply to our lives when we're reading and we're studying these things? Well, let me point out a few things to us that the Apostle Paul mentions in this portion of Scripture. One of the things that he points out, and I'm paraphrasing what he says here, but I think my paraphrase is right on. He's saying here, respect the builders and become one of them. Now, why am I phrasing it that way? I'm saying that Paul's trying to tell this church, listen, respect people that build. Respect the builders and become one of them. Look at how he phrases it in the first three verses that we looked at, starting with verse 12. He says, We ask you, brothers, to respect those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you, and to esteem them very highly in love because of their work. Be at peace among yourselves. And we urge you, brothers, admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with them all. Now, when I was in elementary school, I remember at one point being at a birthday party, and it was at a place that's pretty similar to, to, if you're familiar with Chuck E. Cheese's, it was a place like that. And so it had an indoor play area, it had an arcade, it had things like that. And those were the highlights of social interaction at that point. I used to just think that this was the best thing in the world to go to something like that. And as I look at some of your faces, I think some of you are like, is it not still the best thing in the world? And this one particular place that we went to, um, it had a variety of things. It had a, a fun ball pit, you know, when those were new. And it had this thing that you would get on and it would swing you around the room. It was really dangerous and great, something you'd never see now. Um, it really was fantastic. It was our favorite thing, and then they took it out because we abused it. But at the same time, it also had these scooters in this one section. And there were only a certain amount of scooters, so if you wanted to ride these scooters, you had to wait in line, and it took a while to get one of them. And I remember being at this birthday party. I was probably, if I had to guess, I was probably eight years old. That's probably a pretty safe guess. And uh, I finally got my scooter, and I was like, finally, it's my turn. And so I start riding it around, and I'm scooting around doing the things that, that you know, I'm doing in, that, in the scooter section. And I hadn't had the chance to use it very long, and another kid came up to me and tapped me on the shoulder, and he said, can I have a turn? And he was a little bit younger than me. And my first response instinctively, I still remember it after waiting all that time, I, I was going to tell, like, no, you, you got to wait like everybody else. But I looked up, and it was my pastor's son. And my pastor's son tapped me on the shoulder, and, and he said, can I have a turn? And when it dawned on me it was my pastor's son, I looked at him, and I, I said, oh, uh, yeah. You could, I didn't know him very well. You know, he wasn't somebody that I was close to. He was a little bit younger than me. But I said yes, and I gave him the scooter. And I did this out of respect for my pastor. You know, when I saw I was like, oh, wait, that's a pastor's 
son. Now, I have sons, you know, so you don't have to do this for them. I, I promise. No, I'm just kidding. Um, but I just, but in my mind, it was like a symbol of respect for my pastor. His son had asked me if he could ride the scooter, and so I, I thought, yeah, I'm, I'm going to do that. And I'll, I'll tell you, the culture in my household at the time, I think the Apostle Paul would have approved of based on what he says in these verses, because I was taught in my home, and I'm sure many of you, if not most, if not all of you, were taught to respect authority. You know, I was taught to respect authority. I was taught in the context of the local church, respect uh, the church leaders in our church. It was something my family modeled for me. It wasn't like they did, it, did that publicly, but not privately. They did it in both directions, publicly and privately. They showed respect for that. And in some respects, I grew up thinking that everybody did that. You know, I grew up thinking that that was just kind of what you did, that everybody did that. I had my eyes very widely opened when I was in college. When I was in college, I worked as a, a youth director for several years, and so I got to see the inner workings of how things work sometimes. And I remember at the time watching some of the grief that was being given to a pastor that I highly respected, and I thought, wow, like, why are these people doing this? But I also didn't think I would ever experience it. I thought, man, why are they giving him such a hard time? He's such a great guy. And then I, a few years later, I went into full-time ministry and discovered uh, most people are, are very kind and very gracious. And there are plenty of people that you come across that, for whatever reasons, usually their own issues, are not. And I, it really took me a while. I remember when I was a full-time pastor for the first time that first year, I remember audibly saying to my wife, I could, like, I know that I'm, like, no big deal, but I can't, re- I don't, I can't even fathom, like, speaking to my pastor that way. Like, why would they say that to me? Like, why would, why would somebody talk to me like that? I'm always nice to them. Why, like, why would they do that? I had never seen it before. And here you have the Apostle Paul who had seen everything at this point. He had seen everything. Like, he was a very seasoned man. He didn't have, like, you know, glasses on that that made him see, like, the world in a fake kind of way. He saw how things really went. And so um, the church leaders in Thessalonica who had been newly appointed, keep in mind, these are people that are new to their role. This is a new church with new leaders. So these leaders are very... um, they were very green, you know, like as we, as we talk about like somebody being fresh in a role, they're very green, they're very new at this. Now, even if you're seasoned at doing something like this, you know you're going to get some things right and you're going to get some things wrong, right? We're human, we make mistakes, we get certain things right, get certain things wrong, but things are extra hard when you're new at a task. And so Paul was trying to protect them a little bit here, and he's, he's basically acknowledging, listen, these guys are new. They've never done this before. They're brand new at this. And, and he's trying to encourage the church to, to make it a pattern to show these new leaders some deference, some respect, to esteem them highly in love, like he emphasizes that this should be an expression of love. So, so esteem them highly in love because they're involved in doing a very difficult task. And keep in mind, they had the added complication of living in a context where the, the church was actively receiving forms of persecution locally. So it was a persecuted church. So leading a church in peaceful times can have challenges, but imagine being those leaders. They're new to this task, but they're also leading in the midst of active persecution where Paul had to be taken out of town because people wanted to kill him. That's a scary thing to sign up for. And so Paul's saying to the church at Thessalonica, listen, like, show these people love, show them respect. They're literally risking their necks to lead you. They're literally risking their lives to lead you. 
So, so help them in this task. Make this task a joy is kind of a theme of Scripture when it comes to, the, to leadership in that realm. And at the same time, Paul wanted to admonish the church just in general um, to be people who work hard. And my understanding is that there were some people in that context, in the church at Thessalonica, who had kind of given up working hard. And one of the things that I think motivated some of them to not work hard was actually some optimism, which might sound strange. But let me say this. If, if you believe that Jesus might be coming back tomorrow, do you think you would re-roof your backyard shed today? Do you think you'd care? Like, you'd be like, if Jesus is coming back tomorrow, I don't really care about the roof on my shed. I'm not planting tomatoes this year if Jesus comes back this year. And I think, I think that that's probably one of the things that this church was struggling with because they're obviously very enthusiastic for their faith in Jesus Christ, which is wonderful. Um, but some of them were also starting to use that as maybe a little bit of an excuse to just sit on their hands. And so you have Paul basically saying here, listen, respect the builders and be one of them. Become one of them. Yes, Jesus might come back today. He might come back tomorrow. But live and operate like it might be a hundred years from now. Because he didn't tell you which day. He just told you to be faithful today. Be faithful today. Build today. And in essence, you know, you have, you have Paul basically saying, honor those that are building and be one of them. And, and basically, it, it, it's something that I think is useful for us in our cultural context, but also in the church context to recognize that in all spheres, whether it be in the place where you work or whether it be in the place where you worship, there are going to be producers and consumers. There are producers and there are consumers. There are people that build and there are people that consume. That happens in, in the marketplace, but it also, unfortunately, happens in the church context. And so, Paul's basically saying, listen, if you're going to tilt in one direction or another, tilt toward being a producer. Tilt toward being a builder, not just a consumer. So he's trying to get this into the DNA. He's trying to get this into the mind of the church at Thessalonica because it matters. Something else that he encourages them to do in the midst of, you know, this season where he's now giving them some final words for this letter. He's going to write them again, and we'll start that letter next week. But he also wants them to understand the importance of modeling Christ-likeness in all circumstances. To model Christ-likeness in all circumstances. Well, what do I mean by that? Look at what he says in verse 15 down to verse 22. He says, See that no one repays anyone evil for evil, but always seek to do good to one another and to everyone. Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. Give thanks in all circumstances. For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Do not quench the spirit. Do not despise prophecies, but test everything. Hold fast to what is good. Abstain from every form of evil. Now, sometimes when I'm preaching uh, or teaching, whatever context it might be, whether it be from, from this uh, podium area or whether it be um, you know, just another context of teaching, what I'll end up doing is I'll take a quick glance at the clock, and I'll realize frequently that I don't have as much time to say what I thought I had. You know, I still remember one time years ago, standing right here, where I was just going on and on, and I was all enthusiastic preaching, and I realized that I had gone more than 20 minutes over what I normally preach. And I thought, all right, that was a total accident, 
I hadn't looked at the clock in a while. Um, hope you didn't have anything in the oven because I think I just wrecked it, you know? Now, no one complained. To the church's credit, nobody complained, but I thought, okay, well, next week I need to be a little bit more careful. And then I'll tell myself, all right, be a little more careful next week, and then I'm good for a week and good-ish the next week and not that good the next week and then terrible again, you know? And so it's like a constant thought of like coming back to being a little bit more sensitive to time, but I'll find myself, I'll take a quick glance and uh, at, at the clock and be like, oh, I don't have as, as much time to say what I thought I wanted to say. And in some ways, when I look at the words that Paul says in the verses that we just read together, you know, it almost seems like that's kind of where he was at at this point. Because in very rapid fire fashion, you have Paul mentioning very important things, but it's rapid fire. It's like bullet points as he goes through all these things here. You know, he challenges, if you want to summarize the things that he's talking about here, he's basically just challenging the church to be Christ like, to be Christ like in all circumstances toward one another toward the community. And again, keep in mind, in their context, the community persecuted them severely. You know, Christ-like in all contexts. And so some of the things Paul says here, he's like, all right, first of all, you know, don't pay evil for evil. Don't repay evil for evil. You know, we know that they had certainly been on the receiving end of many evil deeds, particularly from those in their city. But Paul did not want them to reciprocate that kind of activity. He wanted them to model the kind of teaching that we see from Jesus in his Sermon on the Mount. In fact, let me just show you real quick. From Matthew chapter 5, verses 38 and 39, it says this. It says, You have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, do not resist the one who is evil. But if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. It's this idea of not being someone who always looks to retaliate. One of the things that I often say in my own mind is like, I don't have to attend every argument I'm invited to. By the way, that's good to remember when you're online too. (laughs) You don't have to attend every, sometimes you get invited to an argument. It's like, I don't have to attend that. I don't feel like going, I don't feel like going in that direction. And here, you know, Christ had told us, you know, you've heard this said, an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, don't resist the one who's evil. But if anyone slaps you in the right cheek, the idea is that they come up and insult you. It's not like a slap in the cheek is going to be uh, some sort of major injury. But if someone slaps you in the face, whether it's 2,000 years ago or now, you might be slightly insulted, right? You might take some offense. I would not encourage you to make it a pattern to do that to people. But Christ said what to us? If somebody painfully insults you, like a slap to the face, you don't have to retaliate. Turn the other cheek. That's where that whole concept comes from. Turn the other cheek. It's the idea of, all right, here's the other side. Balance it out so that the swelling is like even, right? So my face doesn't tilt, you know, because you got me over here, but not over here, right? It's practical, you know? Um, That was funnier in my mind than you seem to think it was, but... (laughs) Then you look at what Paul's saying here. Uh, As he continues to go on, he also encourages them to be people who pray without ceasing. Pray without ceasing. And as he said this... He's not saying this in a legalistic sense uh, that might require somebody to do nothing else but bow their head in prayer. That's not really what he's getting at here. Rather, what he's encouraging them to do is to go about every single day of their life rejoicing in Christ and maintaining an attitude of prayer and an attitude of communion with Jesus Christ. To be somebody who doesn't just just you know pray at, at um, you know like a, a a moment that's highly designated. You know, you could certainly pray in those moments too. But he's saying it's like, go about your life like in continual communion with the Lord, where it takes nothing for you to just 
immediately just, you know, go outside, you smell the, the fresh air uh, in the spring. You know, sometimes I find myself this time of year just take a good whiff of the air, and I, I think to myself, Lord, thank you. Thank you. I, I truly do appreciate this, where you could go from noticing something to immediately finding yourself in prayer. It's the idea of being in a, a mindset of continual communion with the Lord, where you're mindful of the fact that He's always with you. And so saying a word to Him or speaking to Him, praying without ceasing, it's just the idea, it's the continual habit of your heart. Sometimes I wonder when I hear people say, and I've heard this many a times, and, and maybe some of us have felt this way, uh, where they say, yeah, it's been so long since I prayed. When you get into the spot where you're praying without ceasing, where you're just in that continual mindset and attitude, that concept of it being so long since you've prayed seems so foreign because you find yourself slipping in and out of prayer all throughout your day. It doesn't have to be highly formalized. You're just, all of a sudden you're praying and now you're back in the midst of conversation. You're praying again. You're back in the midst. And so, like, Paul's not saying this in a legalistic sense. He knows that there are times that you'll probably pause to have a conversation with your spouse, or, you know, maybe you'll eat food, or, you, you know, you'll do something else. But you can be in an attitude of prayer, an attitude of communion with Christ, always, in all circumstances, without ceasing. Paul also challenges them to welcome the work of the Holy Spirit in their midst instead of resisting or attempting to stifle what the Holy Spirit is trying to accomplish. And in particular, he encourages them to listen to the prophetic counsel that had been given to them while also holding that prophetic, holding that prophetic counsel up to the revealed scriptures that they had up to that point to make sure that it's not off base or isn't just really about the opinions of the person delivering this message. By the way, if you look at some of the uh, teaching of people like Luther and Calvin and some of the other uh, Reformation fathers, one of the things that they said was, you know, in many respects, so when we think of prophecies, we tend to think about somebody foretelling the future. But when you look at what prophecy is in Scripture, sometimes it's not, all, it's not only foretelling the future. Sometimes it's also a matter of addressing what's going on right now, but saying the thing that's hardest to say. You know, saying the thing that might be awkward, saying the thing that people don't really want you to talk about. And, and sometimes, you know, those that are given that prophetic unction, they'll tell you the thing that you don't want to hear, but it's the thing you most need to hear. And so sometimes there's an element of this that, you know, if you look at Luther's writings and Calvin's writings, they would say that even the context of if you're ever in a spot where you're preaching the Scripture, they would lump that in this category. They'd say you might not be foretelling the future. You may just be um, expounding on what Scripture says, but they would lump that into the foretelling aspect of prophecy. And so there's probably an element of that in what the Apostle Paul was trying to convey here. It may not be that, that you know, somebody necessarily is telling you something futuristic, but they may be telling you in the presence, here is how to apply the Word of God. Here is how to apply the Word of God, maybe in a way that you didn't want to hear it, but it's certainly true. And so Paul's encouraging the church, don't stifle the work of the Holy Spirit among you. Don't neglect listening to what's come to you prophetically, or we could even say like in a preaching-type context as the Scripture's being um, expounded upon. And then he also goes on to say, he challenges them to abstain from practicing evil or in basically inviting worldliness into their lives. He's saying, don't do that. Don't invite that into your life. Don't practice evil. Abstain from all of that. Abstain from it. This is an area that I'll say to us that we need, we need to be particularly cautious of as well. That's not something just for believers living 2,000 years ago. We need to be cautious about what our children are exposed to. We need to be cautious about 
what we're allowing to influence our own minds? And basically, I'll say it like this. Either Christ is Lord of our lives or He isn't. There's no halfway on that. Either Jesus is Lord of your life or Jesus is not Lord of your life. There's no halfway. There's no partial. There's no partial credit on that one, right? He's either your Lord or He isn't. Don't invite evil into your life. Abstain from all forms of evil. Something else that Paul brings up in this passage of Scripture that I think is useful to notice is this idea of anticipating the day of our perfect holiness. Now, you and I struggle with all sorts of things right now and and in in the present. You know, I know my day-to-day life and I know the things I wrestle with, and Scripture tells me that those things are common to all of us. And so we all wrestle with things right now. We're not perfected yet. But then Paul, as he continues his thought here, he basically is teaching us to anticipate the day when we're going to be perfected in holiness. Now, Do you believe that about yourself, that there's going to be a day when you are perfected in holiness? That's hard to wrap your mind around. Do you believe that about your spouse? No comment? I understand. Do you believe that about your children, that there will be a day? And some of you are like, please, Lord, let it be today. Today, let it be the day, right? That day is coming. For every single one of us who believe in Jesus Christ. And that's what the Apostle Paul is trying to point our minds toward. He's he's showing us there's something good up ahead. Look at what he says in verses 23 and 24. He says, Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. And may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. Isn't that a great line? He will surely do it. There's no ambiguity there, is there? He will surely do it. In general, I tend to be an optimistic person. Sometimes I have my moments where I can be a crab, all right? I'll just admit that. But I'm not always a crab. In fact, 90% of the time, I tend to be quite optimistic. In fact, I'm, I'm almost compulsively optimistic in certain ways in the sense that, and I've mentioned this to some of you before, but I actually like to put things in my calendar that I specifically put there because I like having a thing to look forward to. And it could be small. It could be minuscule. It could matter to nobody else. And I'll, I'll put it in my calendar because I like looking forward to it. I like having something to look forward to every so often. I know how my mind works. And I know that, that it seems to do me well to have little things here and there. It's like, hey, put that in there. Something to look forward to. Something to look forward to. And it kind of helps you to get through difficult slogs and difficult days when some of those days come. And I like doing that. And in fact, I discovered on Monday, we got together with some friends for Memorial Day. I was talking to one of my friends who's also a pastor. And he was describing some of the quirky things that he does. And I discovered he does the same exact thing. And I was like, Hey, I thought that was a unique, I thought I was the only one that was doing that stuff. And he's like, no, I do that too. So I don't know. Maybe some of you do that too. I just thought that was kind of a quirky thing that I like kind of strategically putting these things in my calendar. Maybe you have to let me know if some of you are doing that stuff too. We could all be weird together, right? But I discovered one of my good friends. He does the same exact thing. It cracked me up. And here, when you look at what Paul's talking about, he's basically saying, according to the scripture, there's a day coming that we should joyfully anticipate. And Paul tells us that Believers can look forward to a day when the Lord will sanctify us completely, set us apart completely, make us holy completely, will be transformed, will be granted our glorified bodies, will be made perfectly holy. And by the way, when you're made perfectly holy, you're going to spend all eternity in that, in that capacity, in that, 
in that state. That's your forever state. You're not going back. You're not going back to the to mistake world. You're not going back to error world. You're not going back to sin world. That's not happening to you after that. You're going to be perfectly glorified. You're going to be perfectly sanctified, and that will be your state for all times. You will be prepared in all ways. Right now we're in process, right? We're in the process, but there's going to come a point where we're fully and completely sanctified according to the Scripture. And you're going to be prepared to be able to live in the presence of our holy God for all eternity. That's His plan for us. That's His promise for us. We can bank on it. We'll no longer struggle with sin in any way. We'll no longer rebel against the Lord's counsel or will. We won't make excuses. None of that. When Christ returns for us, Scripture reveals to us that we will be made like Him and we'll enjoy a sinless eternity in His presence. I'm telling you, I'm looking forward to that, and I I believe that you are as well. Our hearts long for that day. And I want to give you two simple proofs that will prove to you, I think, that you presently long for it, even if this is the first time you've ever heard this mentioned. Two examples I'll give to you. you When you take a vacation to a beautifully landscaped area, and you look at it, and you appreciate it, you take it and you think, wow, that's just perfect. Like, that just looks beautiful. Like, it's all manicured. It's perfect. It's watered. It looks great. I'm just smelling this stuff coming off. It's just all wonderful. And you look at that. What's your heart really longing for? I think your heart's longing for heaven. I think there's a part of us. I mean, we try and make it a little bit now, right? When we're trying to craft what, like, our favorite things, we try and make them just right. You know, you go on vacation, you go to this perfectly landscaped, beautiful place, possibly. You think to yourself, wow, it's wonderful. I think that's evidence that our hearts long for heaven. How about this? Uh, when, when we were all gathering together for worship on Sunday mornings in our homes, in our pajamas, unshaven, hair not combed, drinking coffee, sitting on your couch just a few weeks ago, um, anyone take family pictures? Anyone say, okay, kids, stand in front of the fireplace. Everybody, now smile. Everybody smile. Same time. Everybody smile. All right, I'm going to put this on a timer. I'm going to stand next to you guys. Everybody smile. All right. I haven't washed his shirt in weeks. Yep, that's good. Nope, smile. Dirty shirt. Love it. Right? Anyone do that? Nobody did that? No? Okay. Interesting. All right. I wonder why you didn't do it. But how about this? Let's say you get all dressed up and go to a wedding. And you've got your nicest outfit on, maybe your nicest suit, maybe even rented nice clothing. And you do your hair and you shave nicely and, uh, and, or you do your makeup, and everything looks good, and you got your nicest jewelry on and all that. And what does everybody do in a context like that? You take pictures. Like every, we all look good at the same time. Everybody looks good at the same time. Don't do anything yet. Kids, don't play on the playground yet. Don't do anything. Just come over here. It's like Easter Sunday here in the church, right? You know, it's like don't, like, don't go out. You go on the playground and wreck yourself after we get the picture. And everybody looks good, and you smile, and you check it, and you're like, all right, we look good. What are we longing for? We're longing, we're showing that our hearts long for the day when we're perfected. And we try and get a glimpse of maybe the closest we can get to it right now. And then you make it your cover photo on Facebook, right? And what are we doing? We're saying, my heart longs for this. Because I know that I don't have it yet. My, my context in this world is not perfect. My appearance is not perfect. My mind is not yet perfect. You know, there are aspects of me that really need to grow. And then you look at this portion of Scripture, and what does it reveal to us? It tells us that the day is coming when your perfect holiness is going to be accomplished through Jesus Christ 
And that will be your forever state. Perfect in all ways. Bank on it, is what Paul's saying. That day's coming. Look forward to it. And then he says just a couple final words as we finish up. And he basically teaches us, listen, act on your affection toward your Christian family. Act on it. If you have affection toward your Christian family, act on it. Let me read the the final verses that he says here, verse 25 down to verse 28. He says, and it's again like bullet points, right? He says, brothers, pray for us. Greet all the brothers with a holy kiss. I put you under oath before the Lord to have this letter read to all the brothers. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. So again, as Paul wraps up this letter, what's he doing here? He does so in a, it's a very affectionate way to wrap this up. And in fact, he demonstrates here multiple ways that believers can act on their affection for one another. So we can pray for one another. Received a nice message from someone that I haven't seen in a few months. And the other day, he just, out of the blue, he, he hunted down my number. He didn't even have my number. He hunted down my number just so he could send me a message to let me know that right now he was praying for me. Isn't that a wonderful thing? I don't even know, like, I don't even know all the hoops he went through to get that number so that he could, that he could message me just so he could let me know that I, that he was praying for me right now. I thought, well, how wonderful was that? That was on Friday he did that. I thought that was fantastic, but scripture tells us we could pray for one another. Here it also says, greet all the brothers with a holy kiss. What an ironic time for us to come to that portion of scripture, right? You know, we've got all these policies right now, like, you may look at each other, But don't, we're all mimes, right? It's like, I see you, there's a glass bubble around you, there's a glass bubble around me. I thought it was curiously ironic and hilarious to have this scripture be part of this today. But the idea was, you're showing warm affection for one another, you know? You're showing warm affection for one another. And obviously, you know, I I think you'll be given a pass if if you pause for a few weeks from it, you know? Uh, but the idea is, Paul's saying, like, show one another that you're family. Greet one another like your family. Love one another like your family. That's what he's getting at here. You know, and, and, you, and he's also encouraging the church. He's saying, listen, you can, your hearts can be at rest in the grace of Jesus Christ collectively. Like, this is the culture of the church. This is what the Lord's facilitating among us. There are, these are all wonderful ways that, that, and important ways that we can demonstrate the affinity that we have for one another as believers in Jesus Christ. But I also love the strong words that Paul uses here as he finishes out this wise counsel. And he binds this church in a particular way. He binds them to the spiritual obligation before the Lord to read these words to their Christian family, not to bury this content, but to make sure that their Christian family hears it, that it's shared, that it's read, that it's communicated. Because this wasn't counsel that originated in the, in the heart of the Apostle Paul. You just make this stuff up. This, these aren't just ideas that Paul came up with one day while he was in prison. This was counsel that was directly inspired by the Holy Spirit. Directly inspired by the Holy Spirit. It was meant to be read. It was meant to be shared. It was meant to be proclaimed. It was meant to reach their ears. It was meant to reach our ears as well. In fact, it would not be a far stretch for us to also consider ourselves bound in the same way that they were, with the same kind of obligation. Meaning, we too have a spiritual obligation to share the Word of God and to make it known far and wide. Make it known far and wide. Use every opportunity that the Lord's given you to make the gospel known far and wide. Let the Scriptures be known far and wide in every context that the Lord gives you the opportunity to do so. 
I think we're bound in the same way that the people of Thessalonica were bound. It's an obligation the Lord's given to us, but it should be a joyful task, something we rejoice in doing as as recipients of this counsel. So let me say this as we wrap up. As you ponder the things that the Apostle Paul says here in this passage, what I'm hoping is that they encourage your heart and challenge your heart, just like just like they did for the believers living in Thessalonica. These were challenging words, but they were spoken in love. It wasn't like Paul was trying to beat them up or something like that. He was speaking these things in love to people that he cared enough to tell the truth to. And basically what I see as I look at this, as I look at this whole book, but also these closing verses, I think what's being communicated is we need wisdom if we're going to continue growing in our faith. You and I, we need the wisdom of God as we continue to grow, as we continue to mature. I think we also need to be stirred up as well, because if you're, you know, we're all in the same spot. I was going to say, if you're anything like me, from time to time, I just kind of need to be stirred up. I need something to stir me up. It's almost like you're, you're, you know stuff, but you have to be reminded of what you already know sometimes. And I think Paul's doing this here. It's not like the church at Thessalonica hadn't heard some of these things before but he's trying to stir them up to think about it in a fresh way, to reactivate some things that they hadn't thought about in a while. And so the counsel of this letter, what what the Lord's doing through it, is, is helping us to become enthusiastic followers of Jesus Christ who take every opportunity to put their faith into practice. That's the Lord's challenge for us, and that's something I hope we take away from the privilege that we've had to study the book of 1 Thessalonians. Now, next week, we're going to start looking at 2 Thessalonians. We're going to get to see the sequel. There's no movies this summer. No problem. Summer's usually sequel season, so your church has you taken care of because we're about to look at Thessalonians part two. So get ready for the sequel, and since we're investing in the live stream, those of you on the live stream, part two coming in one week. Get your ticket. Make sure you're there. But as we finish up today, I also want to say this. We want to be mindful of all the things happening in the lives of believers throughout the world, believers throughout our country, and all the things happening right now that really, I mean, you look at at our nation, you see a lot of stirring, you see a lot of unrest, you see a lot of people expressing themselves in healthy ways, and then people expressing themselves in destructive ways. And the truth is, that unless the Lord intervenes in our hearts as individuals and as a nation and as a church, we're going to go in very crazy directions, very selfish directions, very unhealthy directions. And we want to pray that the Lord would use moments like now and every circumstance to teach us, first of all, I think, to be people who are eager to repent. Because I think there's some collective repentance that needs to take place among all of us, among the church, among our nation. I think we need to come before the Lord, admit our guilt, and just say, Lord, all right, these are the things that we don't like talking about. We need to repent of. And then we need to live in obedience as the Lord speaks to our heart. When the Lord impresses something upon our heart, we need to say yes and not spend the rest of our lives questioning what He tells us to do. And if we can become a people who are tender-hearted again to the things of the Lord, I believe we'll see wonderful, wonderful things being done in our midst. I believe the Lord can take hurt feelings and destruction and transform it and use it to be something that blesses people and glorifies Him. So I hope that you'll, as we just pause to finish up today, 
I'm going to invite you to stand together with me. There's not going to be any closing song or anything like that today. We're just going to close with prayer. I'm going to invite you to stand together with me now. And we're just going to join together with one heart, with one mind. And we're just going to pray that the Lord impresses these things upon our heart, but that he also heals our nation. So let's pray for that healing together. Lord, we're so grateful for the privilege to be able to know you, to be able to love you, to be able to recognize that you love us. We're so grateful for the admonitions that we've had the privilege to read from your word. We're so grateful for the things that we can testify that you've been doing in our lives, Father, as you sent your Son, Jesus Christ, into this world to rescue and redeem lost sinners. And Lord, that was us. We were lost. We had taken ourselves, humanity, we had taken ourselves in a, in a, in a terrible direction and tried to live as our own gods. And Lord, that's the struggle we still wrestle with right now. And Lord, we hurt each other, we abuse one another, we disrespect one another, we take advantage of one another, and then we justify it in ways that we shouldn't even dare justify it. And Lord, so much of our lives is spent walking around with a strut, like we've got everything together, like we have some sort of justification for being arrogant. And then we look at what your word actually tells us, and and your word tells us that apart from your intervention, we would have zero standing before you. We were lost sinners who were, we, we had no hope. But again, you came to this earth, you sent your son, Jesus Christ, into this earth to rescue and redeem us. And Father, we pray that that rescue plan, that that redemption would be something that we as a nation would welcome and celebrate in a very fresh way, even today. Lord, we know that there's so much distrust, there's so much pain, there's so much anger. We see people protesting, we see people rioting, we see people avoiding, we see people doing all sorts of things because our minds feel so jumbled, just so jumbled. And some of us express that in anger, and some of us express that in sadness, and some of us express that in other ways. But Lord, all we want you to do is just help our hearts to repent of whatever doesn't belong there and help us to come back to you. So today, we just pray for healing for those who are angry. We pray that they would find healing in your son, Jesus Christ. We pray for wisdom for those who are arrogant, that they would find humility in your son, Jesus Christ, who came to this earth and showed us the ultimate example of humility. He was willing to endure the shame of the cross, yet he, that it was through your Son that all creation was created. And yet he subjected himself to torture for our benefit in humility. And yet we walk around with a strut as if that's something that's beneath us, and yet it wasn't even beneath you. Lord, we pray that you would help us to walk as shining lights in the midst of this world, and that people would see through the testimony of our lips and through the attitude that we convey and through the the way we walk, that the presence of your Son, Jesus Christ, that the transformative power of your Holy Spirit truly makes a difference in the life of one who comes to know your Son. 
Lord, we pray that this would be an opportunity that we would take to shine as lights for your glory precisely when we're being tested most. Lord, thank you so much for using the church at Thessalonica to be that kind of shining light in the context in which they lived in. And during this brief season, we have the opportunity to be that shining light. So, Lord, help us to take great advantage of that. Help us to make great use of that opportunity. And help us, Lord, to glorify you in all contexts. But, Father, we pray that you would heal our land. Without your intervention, we are absolutely stuck. Without your intervention, there is no hope. But with your intervention, there's great hope. And throughout the course of human history, we've watched you do some miraculous things, and we've seen you do some miraculous things right here on our own soil. And so we just want to commit this land, we want to commit our leaders, we want to commit our nation as a people unto you, and pray that by your grace you would draw us unto yourself right now. And we thank you, Lord, for your power to do so. We want to walk in faith as we watch what you accomplish. We commit ourselves to you now, and we commit our nation to you today, and we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks again for listening to this week's episode. When you get the chance, I'd like to invite you to stop by my website, which is desirejesus.com. And when you're there, be sure to sign up for our email list, And take advantage of the free books and free resources that we have there to help you grow in your walk with Christ. And if you feel led to help support this podcast and our other online ministry efforts, please click the link in this episode's description to give a gift. And don't forget to leave the podcast a rating or review via your favorite podcast player. I hope you have a great week, and I'm looking forward to getting together again right here next Monday. Take care. If you're hearing this right now, you're probably like, who the heck is this and why are they playing during my favorite podcast? And I get it. I don't want to take up too much of your time, but I do want to introduce myself. My name is Trevor Tyson, and I'm the host of Trevor Talks, where we talk to real people about real topics and real stories. I just want to invite you, if you love podcasts, if you love music, if you love books and love hearing from the people who create it, come check us out at Trevor Talks. Simply go to Google or Life Audio, type in Trevor Talks, and it'll pop on up. Hope you have a great day.